All right. Uh, good morning, listeners, and welcome to this week's news from the uh, drug war front. Uh, my name is Jeff, and my co-presenter, as always, is Marion. Good morning to you. Good morning, Jeffrey, and good morning, listeners. How are we all this morning on this very chilly morning? It doesn't even look nice outside anymore, but it did when I got out of bed. I've been fooled a few times by sunshine. Yes, and then, and then you get out and there's a Force 9 draft coming through Canberra. It's a quick return <laughs> for a jacket mountains. or a beanie or something. But, yeah, well, um, this is not telling you any fibs this morning. It looks nasty because it ain't no nice. It's yeah. just not nice really outside. So stay inside, have a cup of coffee and listen, or a couple of cups of coffee and listen to news from the drug war front because we're here to tell you what's going on. Well, we'll do our best. So um, as I said before, uh, news from the drug war front is brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harmonisation and Advocacy and The Connection, Canberra's peer-based drug and alcohol service for First Three Nations pages. clients. Yes. Um, the program promotes the broad array of services provided by Karma, and we also like to report and debate relevant stories um, from around the world and, and from around the nation uh, with the aim of uh, trying to encourage people to discuss prohibition. And just think about the effect, the impact of the so-called war on drugs and, you know, international so-called conventions that people agree to or countries agree to and then subsequently don't comply with, which has been going on for 60 years now. The Dutch have always been a party to every United Nations convention, um, but then have gone and done their own thing. Well, we ratified 1961, and unfortunately, I don't think we have gone and done no, our own thing. No, we've actually stuck to it, which has been really nauseating and, and has been our rash the rationale often from the federal government for why we do not um, innovate as far as drug and alcohol um, laws and leg regulations are concerned. It's beyond frustrating, isn't it, when you oh, think look, about... after all this time, Jeffrey, all frust the harm beyond frustrating is an understatement. <laughs> well, why, why select a certain uh, selection of drugs, not based on evidence, really no. based on morality and money and uh, who God knows what... Totally, I think totally based on morality, like the arguments are based on morality... But if you get down to it, if we look at it from our own cynical point of view, which we have been prone to do, I must admit, um, we find that, in, in fact, you know, the money talks way louder than morals do. Absolutely. Because if we followed the morals, Geoffrey, it would really, quite honestly, be about the morality of if it's okay to be intoxicated or not and... With what? Is it okay to be intoxicated? Well, I think the fact that alcohol isn't even generally considered a drug tells you all you need to know. Um, Pretty much. About that. Um, look, just getting off the topic a little bit, but it really affected me watching... Um, I usually try and watch uh, Four Corners on a Monday evening, and mm. this was uh, an ABC-produced program about um, a uh, reporter. His name is Dean Yates, who worked for Reuters yep. and was... Really, I think a bit of an adrenaline junkie. He'd like to get sent to the, the hot, hot hottest spot. Yeah, yeah. And actually put his hand up to go to Iraq when Baghdad was, you know, the most dangerous yes. city on earth. Um, and in the meantime, he'd uh, married, adopted two kids when they were in Jakarta, and yeah. then his wife got pregnant, so they had one of their own. So leaving his wife, young wife with three young Children, kids, yeah, wow. to go off and. Um, she must have been thrilled with that. 
Well, and no. put himself in the line of fire. In the line yeah. of fire. No, she wasn't particularly thrilled. And <laughs> unsurprisingly, essentially, he had a driver and a cameraman yeah. um, who were trusted Reuters, uh, and they were down on the street while he was back well, watching he, he, what was going on. Yeah, he was their boss, yeah. basically, um, and you know had their trust, and he trusted them. And as it turned out, they got caught up in the infamous. We've all seen the footage of the American uh, helicopter. Uh, doing the so-called turkey shoot, and they yes. thought, yeah, essentially they thought the camera was an AR-15 uh, assault weapon or an RPG or, or something. Or an AK-47 or something, or a, a shoulder-carried um, rocket launcher, yes. Well, they talked themselves into believing that... That that's what it was. There were terrorists afoot, and... Um, and they were the ones they were focused on, had their guns pointed at, yes? Look, look <laughs> it's... it's I really felt sorry for the guy because um, at a time when he should have been asking questions and really fighting for the truth, the American military did a snow job on him yeah. and basically said um, that, uh, you know, actually showed him part of the video. Mm. And he the bit that was that actually bit, bit, uh, agreed with their perspective, unsurprisingly. And like it, one of the guys was twenty two, gifted photographer. And they died. I'm talking. Yeah. Oh, they, they right? died. Yeah. Look, um, they were murdered. It didn't come out until Julian Assange uh, published it on WikiLeaks, the full version. So I wonder why. Well, yes, now that it's out in the open, will they still be wanting to track down Julian Assange or still wanting to get him, oh. extradite him to the United States? And are they ever going to stop? No, no, yeah. no. They are determined to make an example of him. But the thing for this poor fellow is when he saw the full version of what had actually t- took pl- taken the place. The entire footage, yeah. He felt... Um, Guilty. Yeah, guilty for not um, supporting his staff. Well, not pressing yeah. the US military for more details, taking their um, lies at face value, um, and it actually uh, cost his reputation at Reuters. Um, and emotionally, it cost him very uh, heaps emotionally because he suffered in a major way subsequently, didn't he? And still does, yeah? Well, he's grief struck for two friends yeah. and also um, traumatised. Post-traumatic stress. He yeah. was diagnosed with PTSD and it put his uh, family situation, you know, he was like... In a, jeopardy, yeah. You know, a, a door slamming would freak him out. You know what I mean? It just, yes, it, it, yeah. Look, I do. it's on iView. If you're interested, get... Uh, Get onto iView yeah. and watch it, but, but um, it's just a, the the repeat of um, Four Corners from Monday night from the ABC, and they'd been doing some fabulous um, uh, investigative journalist type pieces that oh, are actually, really it was worth Australian watching. Story, yeah? Not Four Corners, sorry, Australian my apologies. Story, yeah. yeah, but they really, I've really been impressed with some of the stuff that they've been presenting, where they often don't commit to particular perspectives and. Sometimes you can understand that it's a you know very difficult to talk about alcohol and other drugs issues in a way that does not um, commit the organisation or the station that you are with to a particular course of action, as opposed to promoting discussion, which is what we aim to do. But when it comes to a point about things like the United States a helicopter. Two staff members who look like they're carrying shoulder, uh, shoulder-based weapons, a rocket launcher, for instance, when in fact they've just got cameras and audio equipment and those people get killed and 
whoever is left has been targeted by the American snow job, yeah? Well, it was um, deemed collateral murder when it actually uh, was was published by WikiLeaks. And this is nine years after the event. This collateral damage stuff is just, you really have to go, whoa, hang on. What counts as collateral, you know? Isn't anybody important? The first casualty of war is the truth. That's what they say. After seeing the full video, realising he'd been done a a snow job on him, he felt... um, well, he had PTSD and, yeah, and he um, admitted to a psychiatric he facility. Felt justifiably, um, what's the word? Uh, he was just, you know, he was. He felt guilt. He felt um, remorse that he hadn't um, gone in harder for felt, their reputation. He, he felt like he was not a capable boss, you know, that he hadn't supported his workers, and quite understandably. I mean, and they're dead, so that's evidence. Yeah. And he's done nothing to argue about that, to complain about that, to to go to, you know, the powers that be and say, listen, what did you do to well, these people? They didn't deserve that. They were just Funnily enough, me. after seeing the full video, he tried to go to Reuters and actually was given the opportunity to um, present his, tra- well, his story yeah. and talk about mental health. But he was quickly, it didn't last for long. Um, and yes. basically Reuters sent a written note to Australian correspondents saying we're quite satisfied with our mental health um, procedures. Thank you very much. Do you um, have any would be the next question. Well, it just, <laughs> it just shows it's a, comp- I mean, it's a difficult area, isn't it? it? Inevitably. But it's also one of those ones that they can really quickly toss aside, yes? Mental health issues are... Um, a monstrous problem for in in every field of operations. It doesn't matter, but especially in war, and we have not spoken about that in many instances. World War One, World War Two. You pick a war, pick a conflict or an area of conflict. It's Mental ugly. health is the first thing out the window yep. after truth. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, Australian story. My mistake. Um, if you yep. get the chance to watch it, I, I strongly recommend it. Okay. Um, Anyway, should we go on and talk about karma? Yeah, 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 talk about karma. So having spent like 10 minutes or so going over Australian story from last night, I just want to tell you a little bit about karma and the connection, um, who provide a wide wide range of services such as advocacy, peer treatment support, opioid maintenance treatment, hepatitis C treatment, which is really important. And I was talking to one of the NSP workers this morning just about how easy it is to get tested for hep C these days, just by pinprick test or a a fingerprick test of your blood. You don't have to have 20 mils of blood taken from a vein, which are often in short supply if you've been an injecting drug user over the time. Um, A pinprick test, will they can test your blood for hepatitis C. If you're hep C positive, you can have the, uh, the, uh, the drugs that only take a maximum of 12 weeks with no side effects and your hepatitis C will be cured. And I mean dead set cured to the point where your liver will be in such a good condition it's available for transplant. If it's not already damaged, yeah. If you don't find that gobsmacking, then you're not listening to what I said because I think it's monumental that they are so... Anyway, yeah, very new, clever new treatment, amazing, amazing yeah. treatment, and well worth going to. So, hepatitis C and karma, hepatitis C council and karma, 
have combined to provide a program that will uh, support uh, injecting drug users or even non-users, but people who are hepatitis C positive in their journey from being hepatitis C positive to being hepatitis C free, and that's really important. Um, so Calm, Karma and the, Calm, and the Connection are harm reduction services. Um, they're both they're co-located at uh, the Belcon and Churches Centre, Shop 17, Level 1, 54 Benjamin Way, and the drop-in hours are 10am to 4pm, Monday to Friday. Um they can be contacted on 6253 3643 or by emailing karma at info at karma.org.au. Now, the two things I need to mention to you, the clinic, which is usually held on Thursday, yep. will not be operating on the 28th of the 9th, that's this month, on Thursday the 28th of the 9th and the 5th of the 10th. Um, and both of those days... Uh, are during school holidays and Dr Ben will be away for those two weeks so the clinic won't operate on those two days, the 28th of the 9th and the 5th of the 10th, but will be operating until then and after that. Yeah, I've also um, been told that there's going to be a hep C testing at Ainsley Village on the oh, 29th of this month. Yeah. Um, but um, give Karma a call and make a booking because I think <laughs> numbers are probably limited or a maximum, you know. Yes, I wouldn't be surprised. Another couple of things I wanted to mention, Jeffrey. I just found this morning that the Pat Ban is at uh, Canangra Court today from 9.30 till 3 o'clock. Wow. And then at Veteran uh, Veterans Park. In the evening. From 5 till 9. And I didn't realise it was available in the evening. So it's just really interesting that it has expanded its hours or... To my knowledge, it's expanded its hours, and that makes the availability even more um, useful, you know, for users because they are sometimes so erratic in in their capacity to access those kinds of treatments. So, directions really going out of its way well, to make it's... sure that the pat van is available when it's needed, not just when they can afford to provide it, yeah? It's a great service it and is. it's not an easy gig and doctors and nurses are, you know, putting in... Uh, they're putting in hours and they yeah. actually, you know, they're going above and beyond and I really appreciate that because, you know, services that are accessible and available for pe anybody who is on the margins, if you like, of society and don't like to try and access an emergency services at hospitals or you know, the things like the uh, public health services from the big clinics because they have to pay a gap fee. Um, this, these are free services. Mm -hmm. Best to get there first thing, you know, as early as you can. Or but in karma and make an appointment. just get there, yeah. yeah. But it's yeah, just... You don't have to. But they're yeah. very useful services and I really am um, proud to, you know, to be connected with yeah. organisations like that who are really keen to get access to health support services for those people who might not otherwise have that access. Yeah, look, it's an important uh, extension of uh, Karma's partnerships and services. Yes. Okay, this news from the Drug Warfront uh, broadcast reports on news stories relevant to illicit drug users uh, from Australia and also around the world. 
Many of the articles that we feature uh, come from other sources, including mainstream media. The contents of this broadcast uh, slash podcast do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Karma and the Connection. Karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and we did not promote illegal activity. However, we recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen regardless of laws and United Nations conventions. As such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. And we seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of uh, programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic health care. Uh, Karma advocates for equity of health service delivery for all people. thought I might uh, go to our first song, um, Bob Marley. Uh, I shot the sheriff and uh, okay. played a bit of Bob Marley for a while. Yeah, we have. <laughs> I shot the
Uh, Bob Marley and I shot the sheriff and you're listening to news from the drug war front from uh, Studio One of 2XX 98.3 FM People Powered Radio. Um, this piece is uh, from John Menadue's uh, public policy journal Pearls and Irritations and we've had a lot of um, talk uh, recently about um, pill testing which is uh, uh, pioneered in Canberra with uh, CanTest, which we have... The and we've got now 12 months of operation under our belt and something that Karma is involved in too. We have a peer worker there. It's free and it's available on Thursdays and Fridays, but a really important service. And Very now important. they're Very talking important. about it in New South Wales again. Uh, yes, I'd like to see a bit more movement before the summer uh, festival season. More but anyway, images, yeah. um, this piece by John Menadue is um, the criticism um, is that permitting drug testing sends a message that illicit drug use is not only okay but safe as well. The messages at the city centre site in text on the walls in the liability waiver all participants must sign and in the very vibe of the cramped space are all one way. Don't. The waiver form has a boxed enjoinder the only 100% guaranteed way to make sure that you are not harmed by consuming drugs is, in capitals, not to consume drugs. From the walls in plain uh, frames, quote, you can never be sure the drugs you're taking are safe and it, pill testing, can't predict how your body or brain will uh, react. The space is open only six hours a week and it is a small plain waiting room, some other small spots for health professionals and counsellors and the thin testing room itself. This is the spot where Professor Mel McLeod goes quietly about the business of saving lives in the Canberra region, through the analytical chem- though the analytical chemist is slow to embrace the lifesaver tag. Quote, I try not to talk about saving lives, he says. It's possible we do, and it's very hard to prove. But even if we're preventing that experiences or the odd overdose or whatever, well, that's a positive. One recent uh, experience in the Netherlands was different, with authorities there identifying a new drug, PMA, and issuing uh, an alert. No one died. The same pill was circulating in the UK where there had been no warnings. Multiple deaths resulted. And this is the important thing. Mm. Alerts can be put out quickly. Yep. A recent Churchill Fellow, Professor McLeod, has been, had been initially sceptical about working on the program when approached by the force of nature that is Dr David Caldicott, <laughs> emergency physician and Good fearless you, advocate of drug testing and harm reduction. Uh, I went... Into it with a scientific mindset, Professor McLeod um, says. I think over time, as I've been engaged in the process, we've developed the chemistry plenty. I've certainly got the sense now that this is a worthwhile 
a worthwhile thing to do. My focus is still on the science, but I wouldn't still be doing this if I thought it was a waste of time. Yeah, good on you, Professor McLeod. In contrast to the forthright and very prominent Dr Caldercott, Professor McLeod is softly spoken and quickly points to the favourable independent evaluations of the science he brings to the program. When he started in 2018, he'd been shocked by the sheer number of young people taking drugs and he has stuck with his work despite the considerable early resistance by many in the community and many politicians. Quote, if you don't do it, you're never going to know whether it works or not, he says. That resistance now has, quote, pretty much gone in only five years. Uh, He goes on, I've interacted with many of the people who were initially critics, and I think they've come around. Once again, Canberra leads the nation. In a recent presentation to the ACT chapter of the Australian Academy of Forensic Science, Sciences, Professor McLeod mentioned the pleas of coroners in both New South Wales and Victoria for testing after inquests into six deaths in New South Wales music festivals, listen, New South Wales, and five Victorian deaths at home and in city locations. Victorian coroner, Parisa Spanos, called for the, quote, urgent implementation of public services that check the content and purity of illicit drugs following what the coroner called the harrowing deaths of the five young men. The first three out of 28 recommendations from the New South Wales Deputy Coroner, Harriet Graham, were that New South Wales, quote, permit and facilitate a suitable, suitably qualified organisation, again, quote, to run front-of-house medically supervised pill testing or drug checking at music festivals, that it fund the establishment of a permanent drug checking facility and that it, quote, research and support the development of technology to allow for the most sophisticated and detailed drug analysis to be made on site at music festivals. While other jurisdictions begin to catch up to the ACT, the Territory uh, the territory via the agency of Professor McLeod has been refining and improving what it can do since the first lesson at Groove, the first test at Groove and the Moo in 2018. LSD testing was launched in April this year. Fentanyl test strips are coming into play for the pain drug that is up to 100 times more lethal or stronger than heroin, the drug responsible for the spike that has taken the United States drug deaths past 100,000 people per annum. In the corner of Professor McLeod's testing room is a new machine that can separate, identify and report on purity for 10 targeted drugs in less than three minutes, which is pretty good when you think about it, people. Three minutes, that's not much out of your day. It's a great service. Yeah. Yeah. Formerly known as the Ultra Performance Liquid Chromatography, chromatography, uh, photodiode array from Waters Australia, the big black box is known as Ursula, to the test site crew. If it can't work it out, materials go back to Professor McLeod's home base, the ANU, for the investigation of unknowns, that's in quotes, with more equipment and resources, particularly... Uh, glass chromatography, sorry. Pronunciation of that is bad. Okay, need to finish this. 
I think there's some convincing of government to do um, here. Professor McLeod says, I think it's a bit strange. Even with all his advantages in the ACT, Australia is still somewhat behind we'll have a to number of other go countries. Go to the news, but you get the gist of the idea. Just to finish up on that uh, article that uh, we had to play the news uh, before the end of, um, it's important to say that even with all these advances in the ACT, Australia is still behind a number of other countries. Uh, Dr. Caldicott on the Harm Reduction Australia uh, website puts it typically bluntly, reminding himself that, quote, in Australia, in the 21st century, we still have to push for harm reduction to hold the place of preeminence that it should in any modern national drugs policy. As a simple emergency physician, I see those who um, object, to, object to harm reduction in the same light as those who object to immunisation, blood transfusions or gravity, scientifically without foundation, and forwarding personal opinions that should never be let within several kilometres of being able to influence national policy. Um, that's a very important point uh, that Dr Collicott makes, and um, just to sort of back it up and give you a flavour of some of the pushback on... Um, the reforms that um, have been proposed and implemented in, in the ACT. Uh, one of these free um, magazines, the, what's it called? Canberra, something or other, Canberra Weekly. Uh, there's a piece, A Balanced Approach to Drugs. These are letters to the editor. I refer to Bill Stefaniak's appointment uh, opinion. Since the CPO slams ACT Greens, the Labor government on drugs. Whose phone is that? Sorry about that. That was my phone. I forgot to turn the volume off. Um, yeah, so it's, a, it's in response to Bill Stefaniak's uh, opinion piece slamming the ACT Greens and the Labor government on drugs. Uh, and the writer agrees with his comments, which the government may wish to follow up on. Decriminalisation could lead to increased consumption and accessibility of these highly addictive substances. Reduced legal consequences might inadvertently send a message that these drugs are less harmful, potentially leading to higher uptake rates, especially among vulnerable populations. Moreover... Um, <coughs> Decriminalisation might undermine efforts to combat drug trafficking and organised crime. A legal market for hard drugs could create opportunities for illicit manufacturers and dealers to exploit um, regulatory loopholes, worsening the existing challenges of drug-related violence and criminal enterprises. The public health implications cannot be overlooked either. Decriminalising drugs without a comprehensive strategy for treatment and harm reduction could result in a surge of drug-related health issues, straining healthcare systems and exacerbating social problems. Well, what do you think we've got at the moment, Marion? Strained health system and um, a, a disastrous policy that's putting stress on uh, people and a lack of um, support services. It's Absolutely. Just I mean, and the, look, Bill Stefaniak has been anti-drugs from the word go. It doesn't matter. You mentioned drugs... And inevitably, there will be an oppositional. And Bill Stefaniak was He's a, a Liberal Party, long-standing Liberal Party supporter and member, I suspect. But he was a member for in Canberra, in the House of Assembly, and then in the Legislative Assembly for some time, uh -huh. and has never been in favour of any drug-related enterprise that puts any kind of positive spin on the health of drug users the safety of drug users and further alienates people who are our peers 
and on the margins of society further pushes them away from the central centre of society. And the alienating people is never a positive step. It doesn't matter who they are. If you can find a way, keep your enemies close or keep your friends close and your enemies closer, I think the statement is. If you don't like drug use, the best idea to get drug users to behave in a way that is in keeping with your your idea of what they should be doing, you can only do that if you talk to them. And you ev- can't talk to them if you push them out onto the margins of society. Evidence-based policy is the best way to go. Well, inevitably. We hear about it all the time, but rarely in this area. And, and we've got not, a lot of propaganda to overcome. take notice of it. Uh, anyway, uh, this, this writer goes on to say, the public health implications cannot be overlooked. Decriminalising drugs without a comprehensive strategy for treatment and harm reduction could result in a surge of drug-related health issues, straining the health... Oh, sorry, I read that bit. Straining the healthcare system and exacerbating social problems. Furthermore, the potential for addiction to impact productivity and public safety remains. A concern increased drug use. Well, the interesting thing about this, Jeffrey, is that functional alcoholics are present throughout... The society and productive enterprises, people can maintain a dependence, Mm. a physical and psychological dependence on a drug without any drug, alcohol included, without it necessarily impacting their output, their professional output. Absolutely. Um, Alcohol is probably the most destructive because of the side effects in terms of domestic abuse it out. It's still number one and for harm. Yeah. Indeed. And it, we lose more people from uh, drug-related death and road, than the road toll, than the entire road toll, in, in, like annually. So I'm much more interested in encouraging people to centralise their and, – and to expose, I guess, their behaviour in terms of drug use without feeling discriminated against, without feeling alienated. Because that's the only way you get behaviour changes if you can connect with them. Absolutely. If you want people to give up drugs, you've got to talk to them about it and provide them with an alternative or discuss with them what they really want to do in life and why their drug use actually supports that aim or and if it obstructs their aims. But you can't do that without talking to them. Yep. So stuff like that, like how to discriminate about drug users in three easy lessons, really does n- little, if anything, to encourage people to come to services that are provided for current drug users in particular. Well, the really sad thing is that this um, letter is actually fairly mild when you read some of the comments that people post um, after articles online. Anyway, it says it could lead to more accidents, workplace inefficiencies and strained social services. While the intention behind decriminalising hard drugs like ice and heroin might be well-meaning, the dangers of such a move are significant. A balanced approach involving comprehensive addiction treatment, harm reduction, strategies and thoughtful policy making is essential to address the complex challenges posed by these substances well, his last paragraph I'd actually agree with and there's another one who except Jeffrey that what makes them think that we have no strategies for those things well, yeah it's it, just that they haven't been used or discussed and where has he drawn his information from? yeah absolutely there's nothing evidence-based about this letter at all I'm sorry um did you want to me to go on with one of my many fears or you've already done that 
Look, the, the second letter pretty much just says, I agree with Bill Stefaniak, so I guess we don't really need to, Indeed, to no, do that. No, it's pretty much the same. I, think, I have to say I agree with Bill Stefaniak, says Kim Fitzgerald of Deakin. Um, every word this week, the CW31 August, page 10, lamenting the decriminalisation of hard drugs, which is a term I can't agree with anyway. I have some concerns with the decriminalisation of softer drugs, but ice and heroin, heroin's not a hard drug, darling, I'm sorry. I don't know what equals a hard drug, but it's a, about a moral assessment. Um, one of my many fears is the people who get behind the wheel whilst under the influence, and that applies to any drug, I might add. If any defence lawyer puts that up as a mitigating factor when these people are be brought before the courts, having killed someone, I'd like to see that lawyer do time as well. Frankly, I think alcohol-related driving is a much more uh, murderous intent and really I think that getting behind any machine when you're drunk is attempted murder, whichever way you look at it. And it's a conscious decision to disregard your intoxicated status and to drive a car in a dangerous manner because you must do if you're drunk. And we have evidence to support. That is evidence-based. Yeah. And I'm sorry that the stuff we say that might sound like it is subjective is actually evidence-based. And that is what we hear so often is that yep. policy should be evidence-based. Okay, um, there's a lot of discussion about The Voice and, in fact, Four Corners was actually on The Voice uh, oh, last it? night and it was an excellent... Um, Track around, you went around to four states, spoke to people for and against, um, went to the outback. Uh, it was very, very balanced, balanced, and yeah. thought provoking. Yeah, because there's there's a, a lot to this issue, and a lot of hopes and dreams are bound up in the. You know, look, maybe it could have been worded differently. Maybe the information could have been better. You can always find something to criticise. Can but, I make it a positive statement though, Jeffrey? The thing that well, I have noticed over my time on this planet is that since we actually acknowledge the existence of a First Nations people in Australia in 1967 and decided that they were actually people and that was not terra nullius when the English invaded, but coming back to the present state, what has happened over time is that every time we have constructed a venue or an avenue for First Nations people to be researched, discussed and programs made for them, it has been able to be demolished with one fell swoop, at sick, wiped out, yeah. no longer exists yeah. because it is not enshrined in law. Well, it's at the whim of whoever's certainly in government. Not, that's right. And every government has the capacity to just get rid of it. The beauty of having it in legislation is it doesn't describe what it will look like, it just describes, it just says this is what we can have and what First Nations people can have to have a way of making clear to government and to discuss between themselves what services and what would operations improve. would be appropriate for their, to improve their health status and to close the gap. It's not about what does it look like, no. it's simply about its existence. No. Yes or no? Should it exist? Of course it should. It's In very... what form? That's up for discussion. That's the question. Should it exist? Yes. yes. 
then how come it got wiped out? With us because it's not in the constitution. We don't acknowledge it in the constitution, and we need to. And we never taught the history. I never heard anything about um, the, the real truth. I, I learned about Captain Cook and how yep. great he was, and all the successes of European civilization, and um, none of the actual truth. Of, not reality. Yeah, no reality was yeah. left and out. Let's face it. History is not only. Uh, described by men, but it's always described by the winners. Indeed. Yes, so it's recorded by the winners. And if you hear it from the other perspective, like the perspective of people who were murdered during the invasion by the English, and that's in every nation. I mean, the oh, French no, no. had the same problem, Portuguese had the Canada, same problem, um, the Dutch had the same yeah. problem. It's There is no question that every Indigenous nation has been suppressed hmm. and repressed and that their re-emergence as a people with a voice needs to be not only recorded but retained forevermore. I agree. Well, uh, we've actually found John Farnham's The Voice, which, yeah, da, 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 which is the first ad that I saw. Absolutely, um, and, and it's, it's a, a beautiful song anyway. Iconic song that would I'm so pleased connect with everyone, yeah, I would imagine. I'm so pleased that he has agreed and, in fact, is honoured that it was chosen That's to awesome. represent the yes case, and I can't help agreeing for it. Good for you, it. John. Okay, yep, good this on is you, John. The Voice, John Farnham.
good song. I bet everyone knows that was John Farnham yep. and The Voice. Okay, it's about 23 minutes after 11. You're listening to News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma and the Connection, on People Powered Radio, 2XXFM 98.3. Um, I don't think we, in our lengthy discussion about uh, the decriminalisation issue, which comes, well, the law comes into effect on October the 28th. Next month, yep. But there's been, you know, some pushback. Um, so this is a good piece that was written by Bill Bush, who's with Family and friends for drug law reform. And inevitably has very intelligent things to say. He's a and smart fellow. Relies on evidence for it. He has a personal perspective which supports um, the issue of making drugs available in legal status but relies on evidence for his, uh, for his discussions. Well, this came from the Canberra Times and... Um it's People Dealing With Drug Issues Need More Support, Not Demonization by Bill Bush. On October 23, Families and Friends for Drug Law Reform will hold its 28th Remembrance Ceremony in honour, as we say, of those who have died from our efforts to save them from drugs. This annual ceremony at the Memorial Stone in the beauty of Western Park began in 1996, a year after the group, group's formation, mm. which was um, after the death of... Um, uh, Marion and I can't remember her late husband's Peter. name. Okay, um, son to, yeah. to a drug overdose. So they've been at it for a long time. Indo. Um, yeah, it began in 1996, a year after the group's formation. The 2023 annual Pennington Report of Overdose Deaths released uh, last week shows that since 2001, over 30,000 people have died from an overdose. So that's... Not an insignificant number. Not indeed. Of these, an all-time high of 36 died in the ACT in 2021, more than double the 17 in 2001. The McConnells, that's who Geoffrey was talking about, Peter and Marianne McConnell, were amongst those who lost their son in those early days. His sister appealed for a, quote, more compassionate and, under more compassion and understanding. Again, quoting, perhaps we should stop calling these people who use heroin a bunch of no-hope or troublemaking addicts and start recognising them as real human beings. Somebody's brother or sister, somebody's wife or husband, somebody's mother or father, somebody's son, somebody's daughter or somebody's friend. She was quoted in the Canberra Times in 1995. Again, quoting, perhaps we should introduce more compassion and understanding to the debate, learn from our past mistakes and start doing something positive. Many of us hoped the enactment of the decriminalisation legislation, which will come into effect in October, signified a move by the whole community towards the more fundamental approach for which families and friends have advocated. It's therefore distressing that the enactment of the legislation last year was greeted by the same harsh punitive attitude that those who established the group saw as responsible for the young man, that's Peter and Marion's son's death. It was, hope, was the hope of the McConnells and Bronwyn Barnard, who spoke of the overdose death of her brother at that first ceremony, that bearing the pain of telling their stories would move hearts of stone and show a way through the fog of fear that shrouds illicit drug use. For perfectly rational reasons, there are uh, lonely, less confident introvert, introverts who seek drug taking as their only relief through the anxiety of, a growing, of growing into adulthood in a threatening world. Yeah, look, he writes well, doesn't he? He does. Um, at the other extreme, there are the risk takers who enjoy the excitement of drugs, the, the quote, the buzz, mm. the sense of risk. Some take up rock climbing. 
some sail around the world. Some are well on their way to making their first million while they're still in their teen, teenage years. Risk takers can see drugs as being cool, in quotes. Romantic even. Yeah. yeah. Adding poverty, abuse and disadvantage to that mix supercharges the risk of heavy drug use. Introduce common mental health problems into the picture and the risk of heavy drug use rockets up. A nationwide mental health and wellbeing survey showed, quote, one in six patients presenting with an anxiety disorder is likely also to have a significant and impairing substance, substance dependency. Those coping with a mental health condition often see continuing to use drugs as a form of self-medication in the same way as those experiencing chronic pain will, often resort to illicit opiates when they're unable to secure analgesics or other pain relief for the health system. Which is more frequent than not these days. Well, and it's getting... You're very reduced on opioid pain relief. It's getting harder and harder. Mm. I think we've followed... The American system, which um, cracked down on doctors because uh, they had that pill mill system where That's people right. would... No, well, they used to fly people around the state. And buy boxes of Oxycontin. Doctor to doctor with, you know, 50 users on board and they would all charge through a doctor's surgery and each get a, one prescription and then take off and fly to another state. That was a failure of regulation and mm. also the um, very clever marketing oh, by Purdue incredible. Pharmacy. And yep. what, what gets me, Marin, is when they finally were brought to, to account, nobody went to jail. They just paid yep. a fine. Mm. And they're very wealthy people, the Sackler family. So, um, anyway. And went bankrupt. Yeah? Yeah, there's always tricks they can, mm. they can pull. One of the ironies of drug policy is the professions espousing the least tolerant views of a public health approach that focuses on harm reduction other ones like police and service personnel exposed to high levels of trauma-related stress. Mm. Okay. Um, the association between PTSD and mental and behavioural disorders include depression and substance use, which often results in suicide. No wonder that these conditions are prevalent amongst first responders. Indeed, the Canberra Times has reported on the, quote, rising rates of suicide among Australian police. Again, quoting, the leading cause of death for police officers in Australia is no longer criminal gangs in the inner city, but rather the black dog. That's the other name for depression. Sad, therefore, that the AFP Association uses the shortage of treatment services to insist on the availability of more treatment as a pretext to delay the introduction of decriminalisation. This fails to recognise much of the demand for specialist drug treatment services arises because dependent drug users are turned away from or deterred from accessing mainstream health services because of the stigma and marginalisation associated with criminalisation of their drug use. And I guess the, the attitude that really it's a matter of not of won't power rather mm. than willpower, saying, just saying no to mm. drugs, that one line. Nancy Reagan. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, there's re referrals to more. You know, wastewater reports shows Canberrans amongst the largest drug users. Adrian McKenna, another article on ACT, drug decriminalisation laws could be a game changer. And the other one, Australia has a drug problem and that's that we can't get enough. <laughs> the Pennington report said that uh, had it that 18 people died from overdose in the ACT in 2021, thus recording the highest rates of drug-induced suicide in the country. There were just three such deaths in 2000. So within a year, they had 18 people. Uh, three deaths in 2000, 18 
2021, uh, which was just a monumental increase. Um, Increase of suicides of desperate people pushed over the edge by the stigma of their drug dependency and who seek out their own death by other means like deliberate road accidents and inhaling car exhaust. Bill Bush is the president of Family and Friends for Drug Law Reform and has his own personal story about a, a close friend who uh, died from drug use and drug overdose. And it's a, just a it's just a horrible story that people are suiciding on their drug of choice or by using, as we said, by getting intoxicated, jumping into car and it, or death by cop. Mm. which people have often, uh, they've referred to often in many articles and, and many stories about um, users versus police or citizens versus police, you know, that sort of death by cop is a way of being, of dying, of, you know, retiring from the world without having to do it yourself. I've heard that and put out a, a lot story. of times. Yeah. Uh, look, I'll do a quick, a quick one from uh, Colombia because they've had a change of government. A tribunal has found that a US-trained general was was responsible for the extrajudicial killings in Colombia's war on drugs. Hmm. In Colombia, a Truth and Justice Tribunal has found that US-trained general Mario Montoya was responsible for 130 extrajudicial killings hmm. and disappearances between 2002 and 2003. I mean, the Americans have always considered uh, Latin America, certainly Central America, as their back garden, hmm. backyard. Their playground. And... Um, you know, they're always quick to fund money to, uh, you know... Anybody who militarize. is anti-drugs yeah. or, or pro-drugs even, yeah? It's something that they can either recruit uh, personalities to, profile personalities to, or recruit the population to, yeah? Get yeah. them on their side. They're, they have not been... And murder with impunity. Yes. No, Latin America's paid a heavy price. They have. Montoya is accused of deliberately mislabeling civilians killed by soldiers soldiers as enemy combatants as mm. part of his, quote, f- false positive scandal. Alternative is collateral damage. Yes. Mm. Uh, over 6,000 civilians, including children and disabled people, were killed by Colombian soldiers from 2002 to 2008. Those kids are obviously drug dealers, though. Oh, that, of course. God, goes without saying, doesn't it? Who then classified their victims as fighters uh, from the <laughs> Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, or FARC. Yeah. There's um, at least some hope for improvement with the uh, election of the first leftist uh, president in Colombia who's Which trying is to... why they have that truth commission, truth-telling commission, commission yeah. yes, is because he's actually brought it up well, to talk in, about it rationally. It's important. I think in every... And we're uh, they're asking for that here in Australia too, a truth-telling session as they had in South Africa. And without that, we do not reconcile ourselves to our history or our history. Well, things are just left un, um, unresolved. Untouched, yeah. untalked about and unresolved. Yeah. And none of those uns are useful. Yeah, it's interesting. I saw a thing on the news that it's the 50th anniversary of the coup that yes, was US-engineered in, mm. in Chile. Yep. And uh, General Augusto Pinochet yes. uh, had a rule of terror for the next 19 years, I think. Yep. And um, then committed suicide in the presidential palace. He wouldn't leave the palace, apparently. Yeah. Salvador Allende Rem- did not want to be um, executed by no, the army. No. He um, wanted to kill took his own, his own life. Um, he was an elected uh, leftist leader right. in Chile, and Gough Whitlam was the Prime Minister here and actually uh, accepted a lot of political um, 
refugees from Chile yes. um, in that time. But yes, I think we got quite a lot of people, a lot of children too, from the Chilean um, uh, society who had, were um, in orphanages and who were actually a product of the uh, socialist uh, movement where their children, where their Just parents had either been, dis been disappeared, which has become a, you know, has become a noun. <laughs> these days as opposed to a, a verb, yeah. Well, this report showed a peaceful demonstration with the actual um, president of Chile at the front, um, perfectly uh, non-violent, um, uh, commemorating the 50th anniversary of um, Salvador Allende's uh, overthrow and all these people who were just covered in black and not showing their faces started throwing tear gas and bricks and missiles to try and um, interrupt the peaceful demonstration, Yeah, which is pretty ugly stuff. So it shows no, but it's fairly traditional, isn't it? If you want to disrupt uh, a demonstration, a legitimate demonstration, then you employ um, interferers, if you like, yeah, people who can intercede and make it into a violent demonstration by looking like part and parcel of the demonstration itself. Well, evidently it continued on um, as best it could. You know, there were definitely skirmishes and some um, ugly scenes, but um, Chile's still trying to come to terms with the, uh, 50 the consequences years on. 50 years on. And yet here we are, 22 years on from the 9-11, exactly the same date, yes, yep. exactly the same date, just different year, 50 years on for Chile and 22 years on for the 9-11 um, New York, uh, New York um, um, yeah. flying into the Twin Towers. Given we're overseas, I thought I might uh, mention this uh, UK story. It's a new killer drug leaves bodies strewn across the United Kingdom, uh, Kingdom streets with, quote, better high than heroin by Sean McPollin from The Mirror. A drug user from the streets of Whitechapel in East London has explained why he thinks the UK streets are going to soon feel the force of the prescription drug epidemic the USA is facing. Fears are growing that a new killer drug with a better high than heroin has made its way into two UK streets. One drug taker from London has a theory why, why lab-made painkillers, more commonly known as synthetic opioids, are taking the streets by storm. It's the same thing which has uh, been causing an epidemic in the USA with the drug ranging from 50 to 100 times stronger than regular heroin. So it's a fentanyl-type drug, Fentanyl-type mm. drug. Although many of the drugs in the crisis uh, across the pond come like fentanyl and oxycontin have been around more than 50 years, in the past 10 years, prescription drugs have become a major problem. Due to the difference in strength, it's a lot easier for users to overdose, especially when the substance is being mixed with other drugs or mixed with a, a weaker substance. Mm. So UKs might be facing the fentanyl. Uh, yeah, invasion. Remy, whose name's been changed to, prevent, to uh, protect their identity, has helped shed a light on the ongoing drug problem hitting UK streets at the minute. He said, quote, my addiction was still the same as it was six months before, but my withdrawal was heavier. I didn't feel better until I went to a certain dealer. His drug package sizes were much smaller than the others, so it didn't make sense to me why I needed it so badly, he said. Remy's a drug user on Whitechapel High Street in East London, but isn't alone. He's seen fellow users struggle with the pain of withdrawal and frantically look for their next hit. Uh, they added, quote, it has a distinct different taste, he said, why, uh, describing why he was seeking this seller's heroin. 
It's bitter and sweet when I smoke it like an espresso with two sugars. The high is better too. Heroin's supposed to be a downer, right? But the shit that we're getting here is making people more active. It's giving you energy. Remy thinks many of the people who are using these drugs don't have a fucking clue and are the same people who wake up in hot sweats, shaking and vomiting in the toilets. Concerns about this drug problem stretch further than East London with the Office for Health Improvement and Disparities issuing a statement in July about, quote, potent synthetic opioids, end quote, which were implicated in heroin overdoses and deaths. Mm. So, yeah, that sounds like uh, look out UK. Well, it's, just uh, another problem. start jumping on um, fentanyl rather than drug checking, you're going to have way more overdose deaths and what are you going to do about it? The UK's because in a real mess. They um, do not – it cannot – you cannot predict who it's going to hit. No. You don't know what drug users look like just by seeing them on the street, unless they're actively using drugs in front of your very face. And I think there's been lots of cuts to uh, what services, oh, services there are. absolutely. They don't have any uh, peer-based organisations like Karma, which I've found staggering. No, they did have, but they Back in the day. demolished them. Yep. Yep, because um, uh, just by defunding them, yeah. withdraw their funding and that's it, yeah? But Tories are interested in helping people um, who that's, are victimised by society. And, that's right. Um, people who have had their uh, DVDs, players stolen or something like that. You know, it's a it's an issue of possession. It's an issue of ownership and it's an economic issue, basically. Not a health issue. Not a, uh, well, they've got problems everywhere. Issue. The NHS strikes, nurses on strike, teachers yeah. on strike, rail workers on strike. Um, and... And they're not listening to any of them. No, they're not. So, yeah. Okay, so we'll go to a quick song. This is uh, 13th Floor Elevators and um, Slide Machine. Okay. Down south where they use the slide machine
Oh, Act. right. That was 13th floor elevators and uh, what was it? Um, Don't know. Slide machine. <laughs> the slide machine. Okay. Oh, Jeffrey, I just wanted to ask you. Oh. Um, you went to an older users conference. Um, well, it was... It, it covered newer, more topics than just World. old yeah. users, but I spoke on a panel about old, okay. old users. Can you tell us what you talked about and what happened at that? Well, um, Chris asked me if I'd um, be up to uh, just speaking from personal experience about ageing. I think the topic was ageing gracefully, which the, is... The beauty of peer education, listeners, is that you can do that with impunity. Because as subjective as it may be, it also relates to many people in your either your age cohort or your drug choice cohort. Well, I, you know, look, I'm 65, got a lot of experience um, to speak from, and I basically um, uh, summed it up to um, points like people are very worried about um, getting access to proper pain relief should they mm-hmm. have a Which painful... Which is a very real... Very um, problem, real. you know. Currently, um, and we've heard. Remember, we had the woman from um, the representative from the arthritis association. We did. Who was talking about pain relief and the problems with that? Indeed. Yeah. Sorry, go on. No, that's okay. Um, issues of stigma and discrimination, of course, from, which we suffer from daily. Yeah. Well, it's just so entrenched in the difficulty, you know. And I also sort of um, just uh, gave an anecdote of how I, um, perhaps in my idealistic youth, thought <laughs> that. You know, um, evidence would uh, lead to <laughs> would, the end would of prohibition. Win the day, yeah. Well, just it would be self-evident that it's been a, a failed global public policy. It's led as to, the Americans say, the truth; these truths we hold to be self-evident. Indeed, eh? indeed. But only where they agree. Exactly. Um, so, look, mm-hmm. there were I think five people on the panel. It was a very interesting discussion, and I, I have to give newer credit. It was a two-day peers and. Uh, you know, associated uh, friends of newer. Because um, one of the things that it really, I think, we've suffered from since um, Avil's sort of near-death experience was, you know, there used to be the annual um, AGM yeah. where members from all the, around Australia would mm-hmm. come. From every peer organisation because there was a state-based group. Yeah. Every, every group or territory had a state Represent- a peer education. Yeah. yeah. And they would come and... and We'd discuss, you know, strategic plan for the year ahead for AVIL. There'd mm-hmm. be various reports. There'd be people... And projects at individual states, which were often funded through AVIL yep. from the federal government, yeah. And I always thought one of the very best things about it was the networking, mm. that you got to see people, you know, in the, Absolutely. In the flesh. And Who were in the same space as you were? And whenever, when did you get to talk about the issues you were confronted with? To somebody who understood because they were in the same position but just in a different location. Exactly. Where else did that happen? So I guess in some ways there was a little bit of element of, of that trying to sort of um, fill the void. Rejuvenate of, yeah, maybe reju- that connection. Yeah, I hope yeah. so um, because it was it was held at the Teachers' Federation conference uh, for, you know, room or facility or whatever. Perfect venue. Mm. Food was great. They, they actually had a chill-out space, mm. which on the second day I actually went and had a oh, good for half-hour nap, um, huh. which um, I found very... Well, it's exhausting. That kind of stuff is very exhausting. Well, you're talking about deeply personal issues and... Um, and and personal, deeply personal and intimate issues. Remember, I've always said, Jeffrey, sex and drug use. 
the two things that are so personal that you need to talk to somebody from a peer perspective about. They're the only two things that really cut to the chase. Well, I had a good opportunity to catch up with some old uh, peers that I hadn't seen for a while, which was really great. great. And mm. um, Chris spoke on the Friday. Um, I just, yeah, I just think it'd, it'd be good to see that sort of event consolidated on and a ex- regular basis expanded. Now. But you know, it takes it takes money, it takes organisation, take, and it takes initiative. Yeah, um, it and does. the the imperative, excuse me, of wanting to do it because. We're there, we're old, we're here, mm. and we're going to die. So the fear of dying without dignity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that uppermost in my mind. Without people acknowledging our, us as users, without us acknowledging as, ourselves as users, because the discrimination is monumental. And the adverse impact on so many people's lives, you know, um, feeling um, l- less about yourself or, you know, wondering whether you're a good parent. Um, mm-hmm. There are so many layers of... Um, uh, my older brother and sister would be horrified if at my funeral somebody said, and as a drug user, Marianne was but, 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 well, but, an activist. That would probably be the story in most families. Yeah, I, well, I would they would, they're eight and nine years older than me. They would be horrified. Mm. They would not want it to happen. So I would have to have both my boys, my children, actually in control of the funeral so that what I wanted to have said would be said. What yeah. they want to say about me and living with me as a drug user, what they want to say would be said. And these are the more subtle issues of the impact of prohibition that the ordinary person who just swallows mainstream media propaganda mm. is totally unaware of and, and it just blames the individual. You yeah. Know, you're weak-willed, you're this, that. No, for a lot, especially women, it's, it's self-medication for trauma, yeah. trying to cope with, you know, rather than chopping yourself, you know, find a way to... Cover up the pain and the trauma of. I saw a friend this morning who said there was an article in the New Yorker, maybe last week, about a guy who uses heroin and it was the, the drug that saved his life, the one that made him feel normal. That he had tried antidepressants, he had tried every type of drug to try and regulate his emotions, but heroin was the one that suited him best. I've got to say, I agree. That's what it does for me. It levels me out. wonder if we can track that down and um, yeah, have a chat about well it. Yeah, worth having a look at it. Anyway, I'm just interested to know about that. Do you think they'll be putting out a report about the conference or has it already um, come out? Look, I hope so because I fill out the, the post-conference survey oh, with um, what I thought was good, what I thought could be improved. Um, maybe, we, maybe we could investigate that and see yeah. if there's a report and maybe tell users about it because I know we've got a lot of uh, listeners or you know, quite a few of our regular listeners are older drug users who not only like the music because it's old music and we love it, um, but also because they've been using for a long time and they are sympathetic to the perspective that we present and want to, and in fact they add to it, to the discussion that we have every week, which is really nice to see. Exactly. And nice to hear. So well, thank you for that, listeners. That's one of the main major you know, aspirations of the show, aside from, you know, promoting the wonderful services. Is to bring people out of the woodwork and yeah. get them to discuss their lives, yeah? Exactly. Even just with each other, be honest with each other, because that often goes by the by too. Indeed. Honesty, if you 
you know, don't ask the question if you don't want to hear the answer. Yep. It's a major issue, isn't it? Now, what was the name of this song that you wanted? War of the... War or the Hands of Time. It's by Master's Apprentices, who were a South Australian band from the 60s. First Wonderful single band. I ever bought was Turn Up Your Radio by them. So yeah, um, I'm great, sure I know this song. But great band. Here it is. heard that one master's apprentices uh war or the The hands hands of of time time. yeah that was great very influential band turn up your radio the first time i heard that and you know i think they had like like i distinctly remember seeing through the over time there's two players one in particular a bright blonde dutch man who was in just about every band of prominence, and I'm pretty sure ended up writing... Uh, Prolific songwriters, Prolifically yeah. with another um, pl- member of the bands that he was in, yes? And I know they who you mean. produced a whole... St- and I can't remember his name. I know Jack will be sending me a text right now. 
because I'm pretty sure it was someone Vanda something. They were prolific. Oh yes, and they wrote for everybody. And uh, but you know, so many songs. It's from such and from Australia. Yeah, Re- you know, and recorded. Universally. Way yeah. back in the day, yeah. And starting from, yeah, the early 60s and still going, as Indeed. far as I know. All right, we're coming to the end of another week's show. Yeah. Um, we'll just remind you of the Karma uh, telephone number, 6253-3643. Absolutely. Give them a call if they have any issues, questions, information, sign up for Naloxone, um, yeah. Art, art project, opioid overdose um, uh, response. Nalox- yeah, naloxone. The naloxone program, yep. the first Tuesday of every month at yep. the early morning centre, and other times as well as you can find out through uh, ringing the landline number and getting in touch with Dave or Damo. Indeed, There's the venoscope. A, yeah, venoscope that we ring up and make an appointment to have your veins searched for a viable vein to use, uh, painting on Friday afternoons with Natasha. Yep. So many programs that it is just impossible to name every one of them and they change regularly. But really important that you get in touch with Karma yep. and find out what they can do for you and maybe what you can do for them. Indeed. But do get involved. Thanks for listening. We'll leave you with uh, a bit of The Stranglers' Golden Brown. Bye-bye, everyone. Look after yourselves. We'll talk to you next week. Take Bye, care. Bye, Jeffrey. Bye. Thanks, Matt. Texture like sun Lays me down With my mind she runs Throughout the night No need to fight Never a frown With golden brown Every time Just like the last On her ship Tied to the mast Two distant lands Takes both my hands Never a frown with golden brown Golden brown, fine attemptress She's heading west From far away Stays for a day Never a frown 